name is Peter Knight, and I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. My guest today is sports psychologist and director of Mental Notes Consulting, Andrea First. Andrea is an exceptional psychologist and works not just across a range of sports, but also with performing arts and individuals and teams in the corporate world. The winning formula outlined on her website includes hard work, passion, energy, drive, long-term vision, patience, and optimism. You'll find out that she really walks or runs her talk as she describes putting these things into action when she recently ran the Paris Marathon. We talk about how athletes can get the most out of themselves, as well as answering the question about whether we can support them too much. If you enjoy the chat with Andrea, then go to iTunes and look up Iron Golf Mind. Subscribe to the podcast series, that way you won't miss any. You can also download and catch up on past interviews as well. If you find you're getting some great information through these podcasts, then please tell your friends. Enjoy my chat with Andrea. Andrea, thanks for taking the time to have a chat. Now, a sports psychologist, and I know you do other topics as well in business and health and all of that sort of thing, but let's stick with sport for a minute. You know a lot about sport. What's your sport? What do you do? What's my sport? Yes. My original sport was tennis, and that's a sport I absolutely loved and and still follow quite closely um, and play. And, and also run, I guess, long distance, so half marathons and marathons. So my growing up sport was tennis, but I've, I've taken to running sort of, I guess, as I've travelled around the world, it's an easier sport to, to do on a regular basis. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, actually, there's, I think it was a New York marathon I watched the other night on television, yeah. and uh, I, those, it was a, the girls I watched, and they, like, I couldn't keep up with them for 100 metres. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> How far, at, are you far behind uh, them? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I did my first marathon in Paris this year, and I sort of initially had the goal of anything under four hours would be fantastic just to see how I went. And then as the training progressed, and I'm a big one for um, the transfer of, of training to, to competition, so I was, you know, my, my training program was really quite um, serious for an amateur runner. And, and then as I got closer, I thought I can actually crack 3.45, and so that was the goal on the day and finished at 3.43. So I was very, very happy and, um, and looking forward to doing at least, I think, one a year. I've got New York in my sights for next year. Well, that sounds pretty extravagant. But when we have a look, um, we've known each other for a lot of years and, and I've sort of watched partly from the sidelines and, and partly through you know, conversation and the occasional coffee. You started off in Australia, you then moved to Singapore and set up offices there and now you're in London. So you're a... You're a, um, a professional of the world. So how did it all start for you? Why psychology? Psychology originally um, came from being in a science degree where you know, the, the initial year and two years, um, you get to sample you know, a range of different sciences. And um, you know, taking myself back before the science degree, I was very interested in working with the physical side of elite sports. So... Um, physiotherapy, strength and conditioning, exercise physiology was sort of more on my radar and even maybe coaching in, in this, and at that time it was tennis. Um, and then when I went into the science degree and, and had psychology as an elective, 
it was it was probably second year, maybe even third year, that I really started to um, think this is more where I want to go. Um, and I still didn't make a decision really until um, a choice between honours in psychology or honours in exercise physiology. I was still very um, indecisive about which way I'd go, and it's very very different. Um, but I'm probably just as passionate about the exercise physiology stuff still and, and linking it with psychology. So that's where the psychology came originally, was through being exposed to it in a, in a science degree. There's usually a catalyst, something that, that occurs and that, that actually triggers a, a decision point. And whether that's a, a mentor or a, something that happens that, that to you personally or professionally, and, and then you make that decision and say, that's for me. Yeah, I, I definitely would say that um, when I when I look back at the I guess the progress, you know, everything was very considered. So I was um, making contact with people who were in the industry, in whether it be you know, strength and conditioning or, or coaching or psychology. And um, and to be honest, I, I went to Sassia. I was in um, I was studying my undergraduate in um, South Australia, so I went to South Australian Institute of Sport. And actually met with um, the psychologist there and watched what she did and, um, and and still I wasn't you know it wasn't sold then because I was I was watching people like Anne Quinn and Bruce Elliott and Gavin Hopper and I mean those those people were big in tennis when I was coming through you know undergraduate studies and and they're all very different um, and probably even though I've never met her personally I um, we've emailed in recent times I mean I hassled her a lot by letter <laughs> about you know what she did and how she did it um, I think I started to work out that the coaching was probably more what I was interested in and then the coaching meant actually you know working with people and getting the most out of them um, but it probably wasn't until and this is well beyond well, well into me um, you know doing my science degree and then and then then taking the decision or making the decision to become, um, not even become a psychologist, to do, under, to do postgraduate psychology. I then met June Canavan um, and she uh, was a sports physician on the Sunshine Coast and by this time I'd moved my way to Queensland and, um, and her passion for the psychology of athletes was phenomenal. And, um, and originally she was my doctor up there and then as it um, turned out, I did placement as a sports psychologist in her clinic and started my first um, job post postgraduate study in her clinic. Um, so she probably is the, the main catalyst, but I think there were lots of little things along the way because I was such a researcher and, and, and studier of, of all things performance and all things elite sport in you know, who was doing a good job in Australia at the time. And you've worked across a lot of different sports. Um, naturally enough, I, we first met through golf. But you've, you've worked and do work in a, in a range of other sports. Um, so what are some of the other sports you work in aside from golf? So, you know, and I can't believe, on that point, I can't believe now when I look back still that um, golf became the, the sport that I did so much work with. And that was thanks to um, Peter Heiniger at the Hyatt and at Coolum and now at Moosa Springs and, and a guy called David Podlick who was a a touring professional, and, and they gave me my first opportunity to work with golf, and I became a student of the game, um, padding and going to tournaments and, and doing all sorts of wonderful things. And then I guess from there I, I got into athletics through QAS, um, Queensland Academy of Sport, and as well as I was doing tennis, golf, and athletics at QAS. And then in private practice, really, you get the whole range. And um, I've worked with triathlon, sprint kayak, 
um, synchronized swimming, synchronized ice skating, you know, swimming, um, you know, the, all the football codes. So I would say pretty much all of the, the traditional sports. I've had either a club, um, you know, work with me or individuals in private practice come and work with me. So yeah, I, I do like the variety, and I actually think that they they help each other and they keep me um, fresh with ideas to apply, you know, from one sport to the other. A lot of players that I see in, in my role as a golf coach, they come to me usually because something's not working. The best players will come along because they have a different mindset. They want to get better. They know that something might not be working, but it's, it's generally okay. They want to get better. Are there similarities there with Sykes? I think in terms of the best performers, yes. Um, I agree with you completely. So the ones that... Um, really understand the role of the mind and, and they're very, I mean, they're your favourites, aren't they? They're the ones that are mm. open-minded to, you know, what you can give, whether it be from a golf coaching point of view or a sports site point of view or, or a combination of both. Um, I, I would think that, you know, if someone said what's the main reason, the main reason at whatever skill level is that ability to transfer. So a lot of athletes are very good in training and, and train at a level that they can't replicate in competition. So, you know, what's the difference? What are they not doing? And a lot of that has to do with the mind, but also often it's you know, tactical elements in golf or even some, you know, some uh, technical elements as well that we need to work on. But that would be the main reason people come to see me. Yeah, and a lot of the time the strategic elements and the technical elements have a, a mental or a psychological underlying. You know, they, they didn't, didn't see the options because they weren't dealing with the situation properly. So... We, if we go down that line from a mental skills perspective with athletes who don't transfer well from training, they can do it all on a training track. Um, they have the, all of their, their practice rounds or whatever it is with, with golf, but the minute the competition starts, all, a lot of that good practice form deserts them. What are the key things that you work through? I know it's going to be individual, but are there, are there patterns with different athletes? I think that the key thing is that the and, and golf, you know, if we stick on that sport because it's um, probably the, the greatest example of um, of what I'm about to say is that they're really not great at practicing, and um, they do a lot of it, you know, and they spend a lot of hours there. But in terms of what their practice looks like, if I was to pick the pieces out of competition and say, are you practicing these in your training schedule? You know, the overwhelming response, you know, is no until they go through the education and training process to understand that, you know, what should be in a practice schedule is, is exactly what happens in competition. What, so, you just, what you've just said there, <laughs> is, there's so much good yeah. stuff in that. Let's, give me some examples because that is fantastic. Well, I mean, I, I joke to golfers and say, um, you know, like my sport was tennis and, you know, I mean, it's like me um, hitting against the wall, you know, to prepare for a a competition whilst you're actually on the driving range the whole time. So um, you wouldn't see that. You wouldn't see me just playing on the court by myself. I might practice serves, but at the same time I need someone who's going to, to press me to play, you know, reasonable level so I can prepare for competition. So I guess, you know, trying to get golfers to get out of that mindset of um, just hitting balls and, and getting them to think about the game. And you mentioned strategy, and that's something that, uh, and, you know, um, you've seen me speak and you've, we've had great conversations about the fact that I, I want golf 
teaching pros and their players to get out on the course more together to work on strategy because that's often one of the most defining factors of, of their score is how they choose to, to play the, the ball around the course. So um, a lot of my work is collaborative and I would, I would be, first of all, looking at their practice schedule and then, you know, encouraging them to work with their teaching pro and, and whoever else is working with them to make it replicate what's happening in competition. Um, and, and that's, I guess that's the key thing that we're looking at. That is such good advice. And, it, and for players who are even beginning the game, they may not be considering competition, but even replicating what they're going to do on the golf course, yes. uh, it's just, you know, it's, it's the same sort of advice, which is great. Yeah, so we... and, it, and it really, it can be, I mean, every sport is the same. I mean, I, um, I, I had absolute fun this year training for the um, Paris Marathon because I really, for the first time, um, almost took my advice as you know, gospel. <laughs> and, and what am I, you know, what do I tell people? And well, how am I going to do this? And it just, you know, and it was really pleasing to, to see how when you do train and you do get your mind working with, um, you know, with what you want to see in competition, how you want, you know, what music you want, what pacing you want to have, what, you know, what goals you've got for each, each kilometre, all those sorts of things, and you really break it down. I mean, it's, it's quite simple, but it's just the discipline to do that in your training sessions and then, um, uh, and then see, you know, wait and see what happens in competition, which um, that's, that's probably a, a key factor in, in why people don't, you know, don't transfer because they're not that disciplined in getting, getting their training to be high quality. And that leads me to you on your website, on Mental Notes Consulting website, you talk about a winning formula and there are three key things. And the first of those, which you've just alluded to, is hard work. The next one is passion, energy and drive. The third is long-term vision, patience and optimism. Those three things, are they... Do they form the core of the work that you do with athletes? Yes, in my ideal world. So I say my ideal world, meaning I love working with athletes over a period of time. So I love working with them through their careers, whether they start off as young juniors or um, you know, sub-elite working through, supporting them in their, their role as an elite athlete, whether it be full-time or part-time. Um, and and that, that, I guess that says to use a bit of a cliche term, but the journey, you know, the, the entire journey, and that does require, um, you know, the, the vision of where, where we're heading, um, the, the ups and downs and dealing with, you know, the, the good times and the bad times. Um, and uh, you know, really underlying all of that is just, you know, hard work, putting in the, the time and effort and, and making things as high quality as you possibly can. Yeah, absolutely. And... I guess if they've got the passion, the energy and the drive, then it's going to be so much easier to to do that. It is, and I guess it's looking at how, you know, what are they passionate about and, um, and, and tapping into those, you know. So what, what creates energy in them and what, what motivates them through, you know. And often, I mean, I'm a big fan of uh, self-determination theory and, um, and, you know, ensuring that those... Those, those factors are, are being met um, and even sometimes it's not necessarily being overt with the discussion with the athletes about it but just you know from the sidelines really working out you know are, are we um, making sure that we're, we're feeling in control are we making sure that we're, we're learning and we're, we're taking opportunities to get better um, and, and also making sure we have that you know that connection to the goal and connection to the, the journey that we're working on. 
Yeah. The, the other traits that you see in elite athletes, are there patterns in those? What are the, what are the main traits that you see that, that seem to define an elite athlete? I mean, I think what I will say to begin with is, you know, if we're looking at the best, um, then we've got, we have to remember that we're talking about a very, um, you know, the pointy end of the curve, so to speak. And, and with that, you've got some very distinct traits. Um, I think the, you know, I've mentioned goals and being very, very driven towards goals. And, and with that comes a, a dissatisfaction with, um, dissatisfaction also with the status quo, dissatisfaction with, you know, things not being where they think they can be. And often we don't know exactly where they're going to be, but we're just wanting more out of ourselves. So there's that real, um, that, that passion for, um, seeing how far we can go, seeing how good we can be, um, which, you know, is positive because it's, it's, it's driving towards success. But at the same time, there is that potentially, you know, could be viewed as a, an obsession or a, an, a negative view, which is, um, you know, nothing's ever good enough. Um, so that, that to me at the top end is, is very, very prevalent. Um, I think that they are competitors, which might sound um, a little bit benign in response, but I think they are very, they're competitive within themselves, they're competitive with other people, um, they want to be the best, they enjoy the competitive pursuit, you know, the ones that are, are, are very, very, you know, good at their sports. Um, and, and with that, there's a lot of risk and sacrifice. I mean, it's, I, I often help, I guess, the normal population think about what it's like to be an elite athlete when, you know, everybody's seeing how you perform, you know, whether it be you know, live, whether it be on TV, whether it be just seeing scores come up on the on the net or, or times or whatever it might be. And, you know, we think about our roles in, in work and, and we, you know, we guess we get judged performance-wise whether we um, are successful or not in, in terms of working with people or whether we get results. But the reality is the spotlight is nowhere near as great on, on most people. Um, so that, there's that risk. That's what I mean, that risk of being overt with, hey, this is what I'm trying to achieve and this is how I'm going to get it and, and I'm going to show the whole world. Um, you know what I'm trying to do, and and you're going to see if I do or don't achieve that. Mm. It's it's interesting that so many young athletes will say will you know say that make the comment, I'm prepared to do whatever it takes, mm. and they're not. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> and and something something that that I and that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad. No. Thing. Yeah. I was about to say I have I have I'm probably known for my frank and direct conversations with people about you know, working out what they want to do and then working out what's required to do that and being very open and honest about the fact that if you're not prepared to do these things, then that's okay. Um, you know, it's not quitting, it's not giving up, it's not um, anything particularly negative, it's just assessing the options. And and I would say, in, in, and I think you probably see on the website as well, you know, a lot of the things in terms of success are doing the things that other people don't want to do, not because they can't do it, but they don't want to do it. Yes. And... And I think that's a really important um, differentiation and, and also making sure there's no judgment there. Um, if, if people don't want to do it, that is absolutely fine. There is, you know, there's plenty of other interesting things that they can do and, and feel happy and be successful in, but they might not want to be, um, you know, if we're looking at elite sport, to take the, or make the sacrifices to turn their life into what it, what it needs to be to become the best in, in the world or the best in their country or, or whatever level they want to be at. I want to just stay with this, doing whatever it takes, just for a minute, because Gen Y, Gen Z get criticised for 
being the give it to me, give it to give it all to me and give it to me now and they're not prepared to work hard and yet I see so many young people who are absolute counterexamples to that, refreshingly. Mm. Yes. What about at the top of sport? Do things really change from generation to generation in terms of this obsessiveness, this drive, this dissatisfaction, competitiveness? I would my, – my initial response is, is no, I don't think it's changed. Um, I think what's probably changed is the support systems around the athletes. Yeah. So, um, you know, and I actually had good conversations with a, um, a coach yesterday about this, is that, you know, often, you know, we're, we're giving a lot more, they're getting a lot more um, in terms of, you know, whether it be funding, whether it be um, just just support in terms of personnel, you know, sports science, sports medicine, um, you know, the facilities that, that the elite athletes get. So, you know, there's a lot of, I guess, maybe hardships that, that were there in years gone by that are not there now. And, and by no means am I saying that all elite sport is well-funded and, and well-supported, but if, you know, if we just keep it on the, the general sense, um, that it then, you know, the, the environment then changes, you know, the way that people behave. Um, so I think that we've got to be careful and, and I'm very mindful of making sure that, um, you know, that the luxury doesn't overtake, you know, the luxury of elite sport, particularly at the top, top end, take over, um, you know, some of the grittiness that needs to occur to get the results. Um, so potentially some of the younger athletes, if, if we're not seeing them come through, you know, maybe, you know, we talk about things being a bit cushy or a bit easy, you know, for them. And it doesn't, I don't think we're doing them any, any, um, Service. I think we're actually doing them a disservice by by um, creating some of those, you know, those, you know, almost too nurturing, um, and if, if I can say that word. <laughs> no, I I agree. I mm. agree. It's, mm. it's a very fine line between mm. offering the best possible support in order to to fast track or, or really to find out whether a, a, an athlete can be really competitive. Uh, it's a very fine line between that and then the athlete saying, well, this is what I sh- – you should be doing this for me anyway. It's, yes. You know, it's almost like yes. it's a right. Yes, yeah. yeah. And, and I think that, – and that's probably the, the behaviours that are being seen. And and if they've got the right people around them, the right support around them, those behaviours get stamped out very quickly. Yeah. And um, and that, that will be my point. I think there are still – you know, I don't think we're seeing any um, – I think we're seeing an increase from what I can gather in terms of – people around the world choosing elite sport as a career path. Um, so I don't think we're seeing any shortage of people um, choosing it, you know, as a, as, a, um, as a way they want to spend their time, way they want to spend their lives. Um, so I wouldn't say that Gen Y, Gen X has, you know, taken over elite sport at all, but I think that we see a lot of those behaviours in the development years or the sub-elite years, and, and essentially there will be a, a defining moment whether they decide to pull their head in or not. <laughs> That's really interesting because, and that then brings us back to those those key things that you talked about before about you know the, those athletes, the best are driven driven. They they have this dissatisfaction. They're always wanting to improve, and and they're competitors. So we see that in elite athletes. So how trainable are those things? Are they trainable? Mm. It's a really good question because when I was reflecting on this, I was and, and underlying, you know, the best athletes. You know, the best athletes. I think people would agree. You know, there's, there's a physiological component that that um, and, a, and a technical component that goes along with it. Um, and, and the mental aspects. You know, we're looking at a lot of hard wiring in terms of the, the personality traits 
that these athletes will have. And and I think our role, you know, when we are working with these athletes is to, you know, make them um, come to life, support them, you know, strengthen them. If we're looking at athletes that are on, you know, have got a little bit of these things, then of course, you know, we can we can teach them how to set goals, teach them how to um, deal with, you know, mistakes, teach them how to um, thrive in, in competition through, you know, having high pressure training situations. I mean, there are lots of ways that you can skill train um, in terms of developing some of these skills. Have I have I ever seen an elite athlete who doesn't have these or didn't have these and has developed these completely no um, I think uh, you know there's a lot of factors that are involved and, and personality traits are a huge part of this um, but not everything we're still I mean if you're into the numbers I think the latest numbers that are throwing around you know sort of 60 percent given and and then 40 percent to to uh to make the most of it um and, and please don't you know quote those figures necessarily <laughs> for that but they're definitely you know there's sort of there's a, a perspective to take of saying you know we, there's definitely work that you can do um to train people's behaviors but you're sort of working with what you have and understanding what you have and and trying to you know either accentuate those those traits or you know develop them further yeah and it's so interesting particularly with a lot of recent publicity around um, Anders Ericsson's work with, you know, the 10,000-hour mm. rule. Um, you know, if there's a, if there's a component that's, that has to be there from a natural perspective and, you know, whether that's – doesn't matter what percentage it is, if it's 40, 50, 60 yeah, percent or, or any number at all, yeah. then anybody who's looking to do those 10,000 hours that doesn't possess that other remaining percentage, whatever it is, mm. it's not going to work. Yeah, and I think that the type of people that those people are, if we look at the, even the studies that Ericsson's done and and um, and, and even the um, – I mean, there's lots of lots of I say, more popular psychology books that are out there, you know, summarising case studies. And, and, you know, I think that if we looked at personality profiling of some of those people, we would see some commonalities that we've discussed. <laughs> yeah. hmm. and, and But the other thing too is that, you know, whatever the percentage is that – delivers through hard work, um, you know, whether it takes 10,000 hours or more or less than that, it means that there is always, there is always, you know, the opportunity for those who are prepared to, to do the work to reap the rewards for that. Yes, yes, yeah, absolutely. And, and I guess the, the mental component comes in quite a lot with when people say, um, you know, they, they weren't that talented or they weren't, you know, blessed with the physiology or... I mean, and, and they've made something of it. And I guess that's exactly what I'm talking about, you know, those those types of athletes. Um, and, and, again, they're probably in certain sports. Um, you know, there are some sports that, you know, physiologically um, there are quite, I guess, distinct requirements that, you know, the best mind in the world, you know, potentially wouldn't make them, make them you know, run 100 metres in the times that the guys and girls can do it in. Um, however, you know, I think they're the ones that are really interesting case studies, the ones that are, have have been labelled as um, yeah, not as talented, not gifted, you know, all those sort of words get thrown around. And then, then they're the ones that come out and obviously use their mind and their um, their tactical skills as well to, you know, to be the best they can and, and compete at the, at the top level. And they're the greatest stories. Yeah, they are. They, they are. are. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So we've talked all around athletics, but I know that you work with performing arts and you work with business. Is it the same set of characteristics that, that define successful people in those fields as well? 
If I start with personality, yes. Um, I think, you know, performing arts is, you know, my, my experience with, with performing artists is, and definitely the, the more, I guess, the theatre-based performing arts, yes, uh, I've seen very, very similar traits um, personality-wise. And, and really it's been quite interesting because they, um, there's been a particular company I've worked with in Brisbane for quite some time and, and it was a real journey going on with them over the years in helping them to see themselves that way um, because they don't often have that language where a sport we're always talking about talent and um, high performance and high skill and, and giftedness and all this sort of stuff but the performing arts is probably not quite they don't quite throw those words around as much um, so yeah I would say they're definitely you know similar and, and, and often the same personality traits in business yeah yeah I mean it's I guess the the performing arts that I've had a lot to do with has been um, even more physical theatre. So they've got a very close association to athletes and, and using their bodies. Um, in terms of business, yes, you know, if I look at the, the, the words we've used, you know, competitive, you know, take, you know, risk takers, make sacrifices, goal driven, dissatisfied, you know, um, you know, obsessed. I mean, all those things come out thick and fast in, in the individuals and teams I work with in the business world as well. I'm going to ask you the big question <laughs> that you would probably normally take multiple seminars to answer. Yeah. An athlete comes along to you and says, what's the best piece of advice you can give me because I want to be as good as I can be? I want to be as good as I can, as good as I can be. How can I become good? Yeah. I think the first thing is what is good, as in, you know, who do you want to be like? Are there, you know, what's the picture of success? What, what are the, um, what, what's the goal that you're working towards? Because that then helps us work on the skills. I mean, the big thing is, you know, I, I know it's going to sound a bit cliche, but it is hard work. You know, it is um, the hard work in, in getting to that goal. But first of all, we need to know what that is um, or what they are. That that helps things enormously um, in terms of reality checking, in terms of you know working out what what professionals you need to work with and what what people you want in your team to help you get there. Um, because on that note, it's it's definitely not something that's done in isolation from a you know a professional like myself point of view and also the athletes point of view. I, I do feel like it's a team effort, regardless of whether it's an individual sport or, or team sport. So. Um, and be consistent with it. So be consistent with your, you know, that relentless hard work and, and, and hard work and smart work. You know, so I mentioned high quality before as well, but being, you know, I guess sticking with it and being patient. Um, so learn how to probably, train properly. Yes, I'm, you know, it's probably come through quite um, strong in, in my responses. <laughs> you know, the, the training, you know, training is absolutely where it all happens. And the best coaches and the best athletes I've worked with um, are magnificent at making sure their training is set up to prepare them for competition. And 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 I'm talking from all levels, not just mentally, you know, the physiological component, the the, the strategic components. Um, as well as the technical components, and and you get and whatever that mix is, because different athletes will need you know to focus more on one than the other, or um, you know have strengths and weaknesses. So it's it's not a one size fits all. But yeah, the the training element is huge, and and I think it it's now been 
um, supported much more through neuroscience in terms of how much the brain responds to training. And if we can get the conditions and the stimuli right in, in training, then the brain has an opportunity to be prepared for competition in a much more effective way. Yeah, so they, so they need to figure out what good is to them, get, some, yeah. get a, a good advice, good team around them, learn how to train properly and then train hard and just stick with it. Stick with it and with that um, is the review process. So, you know, everything, you know, life is dynamic. So our bodies are dynamic, our minds are dynamic, um, you know, so we need to be making sure that we're constantly um, checking in to see if we're meeting, you know, meeting the goals that we're setting. So it's not something that you set and you just you know, head down and don't look up. Um, you know, that often leads to quite disastrous results because you're not, you're not moving and, and um, adapting to the situations. But definitely that review process. Um, and, and this is, you know, this advice is for someone who's looking at becoming a professional or an elite athlete. You know, I mean, that, that's what's required. Sure. Andrea, I've really enjoyed the chat. There is so much fantastic information there for the listeners. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. My pleasure. We could talk all day. <laughs> we could. <laughs> yeah. So it's a very, very exciting um, time, I think, in elite sport where everything's starting to um, work together a bit more. Um, we, I don't think we caught up at the the recent World Scientific Congress of Golf, but the, the key things that came out of there for the golfers in particular was that we need to be working more closely together as different disciplines um, and we need to be looking at individual case studies in terms of athletes rather than of, you know, that one-size-fits-all approach, um, which excites me enormously because it does mean that if we have that individualistic approach and then how does the team work with that individual, it, um, I think we're going to see some great successes. The great advice never ends. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, I better let you go. <laughs> Thanks so much. No Thanks, Peter.